Welcome to the Shelf Made Podcast, your weekly snackable size podcast for the consumer packaged good industry, where we go deep into one topic each episode that founders are dealing with on a daily basis. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Shelf Made Podcast. So excited uh, to get this launched. We've been putting it off for a little bit, but it felt like the right time to finally kick things off and and start the show. So I know that there's a ton of consumer packaged good podcasts out there, um, especially ones for the food and beverage um, industry, which we are going to focus on quite a bit. But I found that a lot of them are much longer formats, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, touching on a variety of topics. We're going to really go deep into one topic, usually per show. uh, And we'll usually bring on somebody who has a little bit of domain expertise um, in that topic as well. Usually they're going to be a founder from a brand uh, going through kind of how they've worked to solve that issue for them. And so the way the format is going to work for the show is I'm going to kind of go over maybe a, a article headline or something in the news that's kind of caught my attention that I feel like the CPG industry should really be tracking and staying on top of. And then from there, um, we'll kind of just diagnose what that issue is. Uh, I'll give my two cents on, on kind of the problem. And then we'll go into the guest spot. Uh, that's about eight to 10 minutes of that guest kind of talking about maybe how they're solving for the issue, maybe their kind of interesting take on it. And then we're going to follow up with kind of what a digital diary. And this is really as much for me as it is for you. Um, I think that it's very cool when companies peel back kind of layers of the onion to to bring people that have been following the company um, into the loop on what goes on. And I also think that there's a ton of founders out there that feel like they're on a daily grind all by themselves, growing their brands and growing their businesses. And so I think just kind of giving a little look into what we're trying to build here, maybe some frustrations we've seen uh, for that week for building WeStock, what WeStock is, the issues that we have, hiring, um, problems we're trying to solve, uh, we're going to kind of cover it all. And it's going to be a little bit of, um, like I said, an audio diary of what we're going through on the WeStock side of things and how we're trying to move ahead. And so we're super excited uh, to kick off this podcast. And I really hope that you enjoy. And at this point, I'd love to dive into really the topic uh, for the first episode and how can it not be coronavirus? It is currently June 16th, 2020. Uh, for historical value, I kind of want to say that date because we are in the thick of the coronavirus still. And it looks like that there might be a second wave coming in some states that um, you know might have not stayed shut down for long enough. Uh, I'm here in New Jersey and uh, pretty close to New York as well. And we're now kind of rolling out the phase one of um, in the area that I am of, of uh, reopening. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's for us, the the first two months of really going through coronavirus and seeing what the brands were going through, it was difficult. And I don't know how the industry weathers another wave of this. But I think one thing that people don't follow and people don't pay enough attention to, especially if you are co-packing your product um, or you don't have a lot of visibility into your supply chain, is what is actually going on in the supply chain right now. And a lot of these workers, a lot of these farmers, a lot of the plant manufacturers, a lot of the people that work on the plant floor, 
they're getting sick and that's causing rising prices and that's causing limited supply and that's causing breaks in the supply chain. And it's a huge issue, especially if you have a product that's based on a commodity. Um, I came from the hummus industry. We had you know fluctuations in the chickpea market and we had to adjust our pricing across the board for it. And so when you have these breaks in the supply chain, I think it's crucial to get visibility from your co-packer, um, from your manufacturer, if you're doing it yourself, understanding what all of your ingredients costs are and understanding you know what the forecast for those costs might be and if this is really touching them and hitting them. Uh, we will link to a few articles that cover this issue in the show notes, but I just kind of wanted to bring attention to like, we're all worried about sales and I think growing sales in the time of coronavirus. And I think we need to be more focused on making sure that our supply chain is also supported. And so we'll, we'll draw some attention to some of those articles in the show notes, but that's just kind of a headline that, that stood out to me about the, the current environment, which I think needs a little bit more attention. And so, yeah, I think we're gonna, that kind of ushers perfectly into our guest spot today, which is Renee Dunn. Uh, awesome founder from Mozzie Foods, and she's built her whole supply chain outside of the U.S., uh, specifically in Uganda. She has an amazing product, amazing branding. She's been an advocate for Weedstock since day one, so I owe her a ton for that. And with that, I'd love to kick it over to Renee and her kind of expertise on building a supply chain outside the U.S. Thanks so much. So we're now at our um, our first uh, guest appearance on the um, on the Shelf Made podcast. So super excited uh, to have Renee from Amazi Foods here. Me and Renee have known each other for a few years now. Uh, she was an early advocate for WeSock. I think she joined when we were just kind of pitching an idea and didn't really have a product yet. And so super appreciative of the relationship we've kind of developed here over the last few years. And uh, Renee, I don't know if you kind of want to introduce yourself and the brand a little bit, and then we can dive into the topic for today. Absolutely. So um, I'm Renee. I'm the founder of Amazi Foods, repping today. Um, and um, we are a mindful food company selling made in Uganda snacks. So what we do is we partner directly with small businesses and farmers groups in Uganda um, to not only ethically source our products, but also make our products in country. Um, and the idea is to kind of close that gap in our supply chains um, and create more sustainable, equitable supply chains, creating jobs in the countries from which we're sourcing. Um, the best part is we all get to enjoy really tasty snacks, um, including our jackfruit chews and plantain chips, which are all just made with three ingredients, but they bring really bold flavors and unique textures to the really kind of boring dried fruit category. So that's what we do. Nice. Perfect yeah. analysis. And so obviously today we're going to dive into building your supply chain outside of the U.S. Um, and so obviously a lot of things to unpack here in a short amount of times, but I think just like, what was the first step? Like what relationships did you kind of have to start? I mean, did you hop on a plane and go there and just figure it out yourself or kind of what was that first relationship you had to put together to at least get the ball rolling? Yeah. So that is more or less what I did. Um, I did get on a plane and just kind of figure it out from there. But as you can imagine, you know, the typical story is, you know, someone starting making something in their kitchen, they iterate, they bring it to their friends, they bring it to the farmer's market, and there's kind of this really nice iterative kind of growth process. 
Unfortunately, when your supply chain is thousands of miles away, it can't quite work like that. So um, my initial approach was um, finding a company that was producing um, a product similar to what I thought I wanted. So I was lucky to find somebody who was making dried fruit um, for export. And so I figured these people are already sort of meeting certain quality standards, something that I can work with. And I worked with them to then build relationships with additional farmers groups. Um, we signed sort of like an MOU, NDA type thing where I was able to start to develop the recipes with their teams. Okay. Um, and then over time, it kind of became this sort of co-manufacturer relationship, um, even though I had to very much like do the legwork of building that relationship. Um, and so that's how we first got started. And then, you know, as that developed, we over time um, were able to get enough demand and traction to justify then having our own production facility out there. So it was a great solution for the first few years of getting started. And how is kind of like the process um, adapted over time? What's the feedback loop kind of look like when you guys have to make tweaks to, to packaging, things like that? I mean, how is it different not really having your eyeballs on, on production and things like that, where a lot of food manufacturers are doing that here? How is that? I mean, what are the barriers there and how have you kind of tweaked that over time? Yeah, I mean, that was our greatest challenge. You know, I founded the company in 2016 and it really took us up until like, I'd say the end of last year, beginning of this year to get it to a place where I felt our production was actually efficient and high quality. Um, quality and consistency issues were the biggest issues that we've had. Um, I think mostly because, you know, especially in our case, and this is part of our mission, like people in Uganda are not necessarily aware of the U.S. consumer. So things of consistency and like wanting the same texture and flavor in every bag and, uh, you know, expecting a certain, um, thinness of the chip or, and, and even just getting them to understand what's too spicy, what's not spicy enough. Like that feedback loop was very challenging to manage. And I will say I definitely learned by getting things wrong <laughs> um, because, you know, we'd have times where I'd sort of get ahead of myself and be like, okay, we're ready for a large order. And then we'd get a large order and half of it was not up to quality standard. So right. it did require a lot of me going back there, working with the teams, hand like hands on um and and for us it really was it, it depends what your product is and who the stakeholders in your supply chain are but for me it also did require a lot of education on the farmer level around like going as far back as like the ripeness of the fruit and being very clear from the farm level all the way to the end of production with an sop for each step which again was a learning process for me too so um managing that you know took a long time and and it did again ultimately what the turning point for us was being able to open our own production facility because these a the equipment in there is exactly what we needed to be and and the trust relationship is such that like we're not just another customer you know it's we are the primary reason that yeah. they're all in production you own the process so, Exactly. And that's what's allowed us also to make the process more efficient. So instead of in the past, what we were doing is 
importing product in bulk and then we'd hand pack it and sift through everything on this side, which as you can imagine, took forever. Um, but now we have trusted partners. So we're at the point where we can have a very simple turnkey solution. We basically receive the product ready to go in our retail cases. And, and that's been a recent shift and a huge change in our costs. And then all of that kind of trickles into like quality control and then also like health and safety. Like how do you make sure that you're, you're maintaining kind of U.S. standards from a QC standpoint, um, you know, while you're based, you know, in the mid-Atlantic? Yeah. So, I mean, it, that's sort of a joint effort, you know, finding experts um, in the field that can help with that. Like I've, I've certainly used a couple consultants to just make sure that, you know, for we are following common HACCP plan guides, you know, um, we, we do things like get phytosanitary certificates on every single order. Um, our, our facility, the production facility is, um, certified by the Ugandan Bureau of Standards, which is a nationally accredited board. So, you know, if we comply with them, you know, we do comply with most global production sites around the world. And then we're also working toward an ISO 22000 certification. Um, but it really was a lot of learning about the paperwork required, um, especially with importing a product. You know, we've had a couple scares with customs holds and that's usually just due to some sort of clerical issue in the paperwork. It was never really a safety concern, um, but just learning to really navigate that. And I would say for me, that's one of the first things that you know, I'm a very lean team. It's basically just me. Um, and we have some great uh, contractors. Um, but in the early days, the first thing that I kind of paid for outside of myself um, was a customs broker, um, customs and logistics broker, all in one handling our order from start to finish to make sure that the goods are coming in right. Because I personally found that, you know, not coming from that world, the jargon and the steps were just very challenging for me and stressful to follow. So I would recommend that like, if you are in my position and you're kind of just wading into the waters of import export, it is worthwhile trying to find a partner who can help you um, take you through that steps and making sure that you have both the safety paperwork and sort of the like clerical work that's necessary to enter properly. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to do is get that call like two in the morning that your product's like held up in some dock somewhere because the paper. Yeah, and then worrying about the airport holding it for more than three days because if it is, then you're paying lots of money. So, <laughs> so I think my, my most important question, we'll kind of wrap it up here, is, is you've obviously put in all this work um, on the manufacturing, uh, supporting you know the, the communities in Uganda. Have you seen that resonate with the consumer here in the U.S. where they really appreciate all the hard work that you've done on the back end? And is that relaying into really resonating and, and really being a key part of your brand that you're building? Yeah, so I, I think yes and no. I think that we are seeing now more than ever people caring a lot about the, um, the story behind a brand. And, and I recently read something that's like 68% of consumers actively search for purpose-driven brands, which obviously works in our favor. Right. Um, I think that, you know, people, once they learn about our mission are, you know, almost more excited or more loyal in a way. I think what's, what's always been the challenge, but also the exciting part for me is 
you know, explaining how what we do is different than just like the fair trade certification people might see on their bags. Right, um, right. Not to say that what we do is better or, you know, um, or one or the other, but I think that really having the opportunity to share that what we're doing is relationship building and creating opportunities for industry in other parts of the world, as opposed to just, you know, ensuring that farmers are getting fair pay. Um, and so that really starts conversations. And I think that that's, you know, a really exciting thing that I keep working on refining and, and seeing how our audience engages with it. Right. I mean, it's a big story, right? And then it's like, how do you yeah. make it resonate like in a flash to somebody who's picking yeah. up, you know, your product, right? And it's like, it, it is a huge story to tell. And so I can't imagine like, you know, how, how you need to quickly get to that point um, yeah. to the consumer to make yeah. it resonate very quickly. Yeah. I think so, the biggest uh, thing for me is I just try to highlight, you know, the idea of like, not only are we focusing on the resource level, you know, we're trying to bring more of that whole start to finish product in country so that there's a direct connection between them and you. And I think that that's like a pretty clear way of, of explaining that to people. Um, and then, you know, if someone's actually interested, we have the opportunity to kind of unpack it further. But I do think that that's um, a really exciting thing for people to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, this is great. I think there's a lot of brands now looking to bring uh, products and trends that are probably not in the U.S. into in, into you know our market, and I think they may want to be looking to, to have the manufacturing and supply chain handled overseas. So I think this is super helpful. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to reach you, and then where can they find your brand? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can reach out direct via our website. It basically goes to me. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. Amazi Foods um, is our handle. A M A Z I. Um, F O O D S. We're pretty active on Instagram. And then we also, um, are found nationwide at Sprouts Market. Um, you can find us at a number of retail locations across the country, um, on Amazon and of course on our website, amazifoods.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you yes. so much, Renee. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you to Renee for jumping on for episode one. Like I said in the beginning, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up the show with an audio diary. Um, for me, I just feel like not enough companies document kind of what they're going through. And I think it's a disservice to everyone who comes after us because there's not really in a playbook of, you know, there's really only a playbook for, hey, this is what succeeds. And uh, as we've grown this company over the last two years, I mean, we've had plenty of failures and, and plenty of lowlights. And for me, I just think talking about those and, and kind of pinpointing what's really on my mind for today um, is huge. And I think I'm going to really focus on, on hiring. Uh, it's been a big um, focus of ours over the last few weeks as we've continued to grow. And I think making sure that our team represents the world that we live in is crucial. Um, I'm a white male founder. Um, there's nothing to really complain about, um, you know, as a white male founder in this industry, uh, whether it's food and beverage or tech or CPG, uh, we a hundred percent start with a couple laps head start, um, in the race and everything is easier for us. It's easier for us to raise money. It's easier for us to have connections. 
But at the same time, um, I want to make sure that we're building a team that represents the world that we live in. And obviously, there's so much going on uh, in the world right now. And I think what we can do as startups and what we can do as companies is understand that there's an opportunity gap um, in this industry and in this world um, across multiple industries. And the best way to even the playing field and to create change as a startup is to create opportunity. So we've done a really good job at WeStock um, building up our female representation in the company. We're at 50%. We've done a poor job of building up our minority representation, and that falls on me. And so for me, what I'm really going through right now is we're looking to make crucial hires over the next six months is how can I change that? And how can we be at 50% representation by this time next year? And so that's really what's weighing on my uh, mind lately. And so if you have any resources that you want to share, um, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to put them in the show notes. Uh, love to kind of put that out to my community because for us, like if we can do our best as startups to close that opportunity gap, that is, that is just crucial to changing the conversation um, around equality in this country. So yeah, that's a little bit about kind of what's on my mind and, and what I'm struggling with right now and what I'm really focused on. Uh, And with that, that comes to a close for episode one. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your patience with this. I promise we will continue to get better. Uh, My editing skills will get better. Hopefully my um, speaking abilities will also get better. But yeah, I just appreciate anybody who listened and tune in for our next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're interested in learning more about WeStock, check us out at WeStock.io and feel free to enter in the promo code SHELFMADEPODCAST for 25% off your annual contract.